Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast. This is episode 52. This is your host, Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. And, and Mike, Mike's so tired today that he couldn't introduce himself. Do you want to tell everybody why you're so tired? Uh, I'm actually pretty tired because I just got vaccinated a few hours ago, and I was unable to say my own name. I, ben, I appreciate you uh, taking those syllables for me. But no, actually, I feel fine. I feel totally fine. Though I am hearing Bill Gates's voice in my head telling me to buy Microsoft products, which is weird. But other than that, physical- it's totally normal. It's totally normal. It's fine. I had the same thing. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's just it's one of the the side effects. And <laughs> and my my Amazon cart is currently just filled with Microsoft Surface Pro Sevens. I've got like eleven <laughs> of those in there for some reason. I don't remember adding all of them to my cart, but. I went to go delete them, but my brain would not allow me to delete them. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm I'm not going to actually click the the purchase button, but we'll see what happens. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, uh, you know, it, it. I get it though. The vaccine, like for me, it did make me super tired. It made me really, really tired. On top of buying a lot of Microsoft products, like I was, I was done for for a couple of days. So I'm, I, you know, hopefully you'll be all right. I know you've had it today, so uh, you know you never know. It, it, it might hit you tomorrow, but um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely. You know, I think it's one of the things about the vaccine, right? Like, I don't, I never wanted to. When when you when you said you're pro-vaccine, doesn't mean you actually want to take a vaccine. Like, I don't think anybody wants to get a vaccine, but it's like, what do you want? Do you want COVID nineteen or do you want a vaccine that might make you tired for a couple of days? Like, I'll take the vaccine. Correct. And Ben, before we get started here, I, I just wanted to offer you my heartfelt condolences on the loss of Prince Philip. <sighs> I know. I, appreciate it. I know you are a big royal watcher. You're all. You're all into all of that stuff. They're saying that Prince Philip was 99, but I gotta say, he looked old enough to have been present at the drafting of the Magna Carta. Like 99. How about 909? That seems I, more believable. I have to be honest with you. I didn't know. I genuinely had forgotten that he was still alive. <laughs> Right, and I'm like not sure he was, yeah, right, <laughs> right. No, I mean, you know, it was front page. I was like, Prince Philip is dead. I'm like, I thought he was dead, but I guess he is. Well, he is now. I don't have much to say about it. I don't have anything to. I've never been a fan of the royal family. I've never w- cared about the royal family. Prince Philip, as far as I'm concerned, was this sort of doddering old racist, uh, who I'm sure was otherwise a. Uh, fine uh he had this duke of edinburgh award thing that you did when you were a teenager you know i can't remember i think i did i didn't do it so i know even less about him and the awards <laughs> but uh, there you go that's my knowledge of uh of prince philip but i appreciate it i i i thank you for the condolences um you know i'm sure our british listeners will be appreciative and i'm sorry if i've offended any of uh, any any royalists who are listening to us if i've offended the uh the, the queen or i've offended uh, the royal family in any way I, I don't mean to do that i do i was more i was more upset about dmx dying than anything else right same day yeah and i know almost nothing about dmx as well so there you go <laughs> anyway so last week we talked about Matt Gates and how the Department of Justice is investigating whether or not he had 
a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old girl, and whether he trafficked her across state lines and perhaps a whole host of other potential uh, crimes. So Gates has denied it. He says there's an extortion plot against his family and that his dad was working with the FBI. And Gates actually exposed this investigation for some reason that was like actually going after the alleged extortionist trying to extort his family for $25 million in exchange for which he'd make the investigation go away. And this is a guy who's he's in private practice. He hasn't worked at the Justice Department for 25 years. So it's just like a big he's trying to like throw a smokescreen of sorts, I think, which you know, even if the, his extortion tale is true, it doesn't take away from the fact that there is a separate investigation into this stuff that Gates may have done. So the big news on this front this week is that Matt Gates's friend and former Seminole County tax collector, Joel Greenberg, and federal prosecutors indicated in a court hearing this week that Greenberg, who is under indictment, Uh, on 33 counts, including having sex with the same 17-year-old girl that the feds are trying to see if Gates had a relationship with and possibly trafficked over state lines. By all indications, Greenberg is going to accept a plea deal and will cooperate with the DOJ. Then on Thursday, the Daily Beast came out with a report about Matt Gates's Venmo habits amidst all of this. The Beast reports, in two late-night Venmo transactions in 2018, Matt Gates sent his friend, the accused sex trafficker, Joel Greenberg, $900. The next morning, over the course of eight minutes, Greenberg used the same app to send three young women varying sums of money. In total, the transactions amounted to $900. The memo field for the first of Gates' transactions to Greenberg was titled, Test. In the second, the Florida GOP congressman wrote, hit up blank. But instead of a blank, Gates wrote the nickname of one of the recipients. The Daily Beast is not sharing that nickname because the teenager had only turned 18 less than six months before. When Greenberg then made his Venmo payments to these three young women, he described the money as being for tuition, school, and school. And one of the reporters on this story went on Chris Hayes Thursday night, and he added a nugget. And I'm pretty sure I heard this correctly from him. But I believe this reporter stated that the teenager in this case, then a teenager, because this was 2018, uh, that she's now a porn star. And and so amid all of this, Gates has lost a couple of staffers who've resigned. But last week, Gates's office released a statement purporting to be from, quote, the women of the office of Congressman Matt Gates. And the funny thing about this statement that, like, is defending him, saying, like, we've never seen any wrongdoing, he's innocent, blah, blah, blah. Funny thing about this statement is there is not a single name, female or male, affixed to it. So it wouldn't surprise me if if Matt Gates authored this thing and said it's from the women in his office. So those are the big developments on the Matt Gates front. And Ben, I just wanted to ask you, how should Matt Gates feel right now? Oh, I'd be looking into uh, to um, moving abroad right now, um, I, <laughs> looking for countries that don't have any extradition um, 
treaties with the United States and uh, looking to get my things in order as fast as possible, maybe invest in some cryptocurrencies and uh, get the fuck out of America. That's what I'd be doing right now if I was Matt Gaze. Because I think this is really, really bad for him. This, uh, this he, he's li- like he has lost all support. Right, even Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Jewish space lasers n- nut job, QAnon nut job, has has been scrubbing her social media records um, of uh, any association with Matt Gates. Right, this guy is 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 in deep shit, and I think everybody, literally everybody on Washington knows it right everybody knows the guy is a creep everybody knows that this looks incredibly bad and uh, yeah they're they're leaving him so i i you know what does he do i don't know how would i feel i mean given the fact that he's uh, you know my my gut instinct whenever i listen to matt gates talking whenever i see his face i think that this guy is an uh, is a sociopath right he is a complete sort of donald trump he's like a mini donald trump uh, a frat boy narcissistic sociopath and i don't yeah i don't see like how he you know anyway it's bad I don't, i'm not gonna say he's guilty i don't know i want to see the i want to see more evidence of course but it doesn't look good at all right the the Ven, the venmo transactions for the exact same amount paid to these girls for tuition listen also right there were installments of what were the installments it was 300 dollars, right 900 so, Nine hundred dollars to three um, different women. To three hundred, what edu- what can you get? What what university would that pay for? What would that pay for for tuition? Yeah, it's not looking good for him. I would not want to be him. You know, there are Venmo transactions here going through this intermediary, Jill Greenberg, in what is pr- the laziest money laundering operation I have ever seen. Like, what, like oh, I know one I mean, extra step going through my my friend here, my my associate. There may have been money for sex, which is illegal. So, you know, even even if they find out that he didn't sleep with a 17 year old, even if he can explain away the, the tuition, the, the Venmo transact, I think, you know, the feds are collecting a lot of information on him about this stuff that we're talking about and stuff that we're not talking about because we, we don't we don't know what they have. Yeah, I'm going to wait for all the facts to come in. Anything can happen there. But yeah, you know, you, Matt Gates, you look at him, you listen to him, you see the things he's done, and the guy's just a through and through creep. It, it also, I, what I can't understand, right, is like it's like Donald Trump. You just listen to Donald Trump talking. You just look at his track record. You just look at who he hangs around with. Look at who he surrounds himself with and the kind of things he gets involved in. And you think... This guy is clearly like, you know what I mean? It, it, this is bad news. This is really, really, really bad news. But I, in America, for, for some reason, even if it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter how big of a scumbag you are, particularly in conservative circles, you're still going to get an audience. You know what I mean? You can still do something. You can still like make money or become a successful politician. I mean, Jesus, Marjorie Taylor Greene is in Congress, right? This is insane. She is insane. Well, the scumbaggery is part of the appeal. I mean, you mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene. She just had one of the biggest, if not the biggest, fundraising haul by a freshman congressman over the the first quarter. I think she raised over $3 million, and this lady is certifiable. You look at Donald Trump, all the votes that he got. I mean, he he got more votes this time around, and he was as vile as ever. 
So there's something really disturbing going on on the right when it seems that we have candidates on the conservative side who are, who are winning, not despite the fact that they're crazy and that they're scumbags, but because they're crazy and they're scumbags. And they're only, you know, the only thing that they do is own the libs and occasionally possibly have sex with 17 year olds. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a scary sort of situation we're in now. I think, you know, I, I, I do find this like, you know, it's not, you know, we, we thing is we make fun of this stuff like every week, right. You know, because I think it's one of the only things that you can sort of do, right. It's like, I don't know, I got a comment on the, um, uh, someone said is like, you know, is you just bashing Republicans, you know, like, or, or someone said, I, you know, um, you're being like that we were too vindictive towards the Republicans and, um, or, or, you know, you're mocking, you're just mocking them for no reason. But it's like, I feel it's like, it's almost what, what else can we do? Right. There's, it's all, you know, because it, the, the situation is so absurd and it's, it's actually kind of frightening, you know, it's, it's like really not a good situation at all. Right. Where, where, you know, these people are elected, like the fact that Marjorie Taylor Greene has been elected to Congress should terrify you, should absolutely terrify you. Right. And and if it hasn't, then you're not paying attention and you don't really understand like what's at stake here, because what's at stake is, is the future of democracy, um, you know, that's held together by a very fragile coalition of Democrats. Right. Because, you know, we've just seen what happens when, when if you take your eye off, off American democracy for, for one fucking second, right? One second, you get Donald Trump. You know, but what's next? Do, do, do you know what I mean? It's like, so, you know, Justin Rosario wrote a big piece this week about, you know, should you forgive your Trump voting relatives, right? If you know somebody who's, who's voted for Trump, should you, should you forgive them? Um, yeah, it's a long article. It's quite, it's quite nuanced. It's a lot of, you know, it's not completely black and white, but essentially what, you know, what Justin was saying was that like, these are fascists, right? These are dangerous fascists and they are trying to destroy democracy as, as we speak. Right. And it's ongoing and it's getting more serious, right? It's not, it's not like abating, you know, the, the Republicans are doubling down on this stuff. There are like intellect, you know, there are heavyweight conservative intellectuals that are kind of redefining what conservatism means, and and essentially declaring that Republicans Republicanism is now essentially fascism. Right? That's worrying. That's really really worrying. And the fact that Matt Gates, a guy like Matt Gates, who is so obviously um, uh, a despicable human being, right, with fascistic tenden- tendency. The fact that this guy is is being invited on Tucker Carlson, and he's he's doing the rounds, and he's still kind of um, major news is is really terrifying. I find that genuinely worrying. So yeah, I'm going to mock the guy, uh, but I'm mocking him partly because I'm re- I really am worried about him. I'm really concerned about the that you know the environment that's led to his his um, uh, ascension in U.S. politics. I feel like this is where Senator Joe Manchin would say you're being alarmist. Because yes. Ben, did you know Joe Manchin would like to usher a new era of bipartisanship where we find common ground on the major policy debates facing our nation? That's Joe Manchin. 
in a Washington Post op-ed he wrote last week titled, I will not vote to eliminate or weaken the filibuster. Obviously, this is a this is a long running. Uh, will he or won't he vote to reform the filibuster? This this piece comes after Chuck Schumer argued to the Senate parliamentarian under an obscure rule that the Democrats should be allowed to pass two more bills this year through budget reconciliation which of course only requires a f- would require a 51 vote majority as opposed to having to get the 60 votes to invoke cloture that ruling was significant because Joe Biden has proposed a very large infrastructure package that obviously would be germane to the budget and the democrats conceivably would be able to get a bill passed pertaining to infrastructure through budget reconciliation. Joe Manchin comes out a few days later with this op-ed in which, yes, he, he does rule out eliminating or weakening the filibuster. And he also says that we shouldn't be passing legislation through reconciliation, although Manchin did vote for the Recovery Act, which was done through reconciliation. So he expressed a, a desire not to go through reconciliation, but he did not rule out voting for another piece of legislation through reconciliation. But, but Joe Manchin, yeah, just to read that, that, that full quote in context, I mean, I swear to God, this guy, I, I think Joe Manchin knows what he's doing. But just the rhetoric, he sounds like someone who just got to the Senate five minutes ago. The filibuster is a critical tool to protecting that input and our democratic form of government. That is why I have said it before and will say it again to remove any shred of doubt. There is no circumstance in which I will vote to eliminate or weaken the filibuster. The time has come to end these political games and to usher a new era of bipartisanship where we find common ground on the major policy debates facing our nation. Ben, why can't we just drop all this reform the filibuster talk and work with Republicans to get big stuff done. Do you, I mean, you say you think he knows what, what he's doing. What is he doing? Like, what is he doing? I mean, clearly you can't work with Republicans. He, he knows that we know that the Republicans know it. The Republicans know that we know that they aren't going to come along with anything the Democrats propose. Right, it, they, they're entire. There's an entire media system and propaganda system set up to essentially, you know, obstruct anything the Democrats do. Anything the Democrats do has, by nef- definition, got to be pro-China, communistic, socialism, identity politics, wokeness. Right, that you can't have anything to do with. That is so extreme and so radical that you you absolutely can't entertain it whatsoever. Right. So Joe Manchin, he knows the game. Right. He understands like. But what's his game? This is what I don't understand. Where does this end? Like, you know, without passing things like HR1, the, the future of the, of, of the Democratic Party is at stake, right? It, it's not clear that Democrats can, you know, it means for the next sort of 10 years, Republicans are, they, they already have, the, the inbuilt advantages they have in the current electoral system are huge. If they get more, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily a given that Democrats are going to be able to get in. Right with gerrymandering, redistricting, um, voter suppression tactics, 
Like Democrats have to fight tooth, tooth and nail to, to win anything at the moment. So, you know, I don't get what his game is. My hope is that he does stuff like this so he can provide cover to himself back home to say, look, I wanted to be bipartisan, right? And then when the Republicans inevitably obstruct and Manchin agrees to pass through something, pass something through reconciliation, he has, he has cover to do that. On the other hand, it's like, are West Virginia voters or really voters anywhere paying attention to how this stuff gets passed? whether it's through reconciliation, whether the filibuster gets reformed down to like a 55 or a 53 cloture, vote cloture rule or making the filibuster a talking filibuster, that is not on the vast majority of voters' radars. Like people care about results. They don't care how it's passed. They don't care if you have to reform or eliminate the filibuster to do it. They don't care if you pass it through budget reconciliation to do it. They don't care. They can't explain to you. Most voters can't explain what the fuck budget reconciliation is. I can barely explain what budget reconciliation is or the or the filibuster. I don't know. Maybe this is like cosmetics on Manchin's part. But when I say I think he knows what he's doing, I mean that in that he is aware of the extent to which Republicans will obstruct the Biden agenda. And I also say he knows what he's doing is because he keeps getting elected in a really red state. Like this is a Trump plus 40 state twice. But like this stuff, I I hope this is, I hope he's laying the groundwork to say, I tried, but Republicans, Washington Republicans were, were too obstructionist. And at the end of the day, I cast my vote and did the right thing to bring billions of dollars in infrastructure spending to West Virginia. That's, that's the best I can do. Yeah, I mean, I think you raised some really good points there. You know, he, he's clearly an incredibly savvy politician, right? You don't get elected to West Virginia as a Democrat unless you really sort of do have some political talent. So I get that. I get the fact that this guy, you know, he's, he's got he, – there's something about what he's doing. Like, he he gets it. But that was fairly strongly worded, right? His, his – I will not um, – you know, I will not touch the filibuster – I don't see how does one come back from that? You know, what's the play here? What are the Democrats doing? I'm sure they must be in contact with with um, with him a lot to talk about what they can do. And it's and it does seem that Manchin understands that voting, you know, that uh, the Voting Rights Act, you know, needs to be reinstituted. It needs to be re-implemented. And HR one or some form of HR one needs to pass. So. Maybe I don't know what the long play is. Um, you know, he needs to. Like I think we were we were discussing this before the podcast, and 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 um, you know, you said that uh, Joe Manchin has to come up with ten Republicans who will vote for some sort of voting rights reform, um, or he has to get help get rid of the filibuster. And I thought that that was a very sort of astute point. You know, that was a very you know that I think that's. That's what Joe Manchin now has to decide. So, um, you know, maybe maybe you can expound on that a little bit. Yeah, in this uh, this op-ed of his, he says, "quote There is also bipartisan support for voting reform in many of the initiatives outlined in the For the People Act. Our ultimate goal should be to restore bipartisan faith in our voting process by assuring all Americans that their votes will be counted, secured, and protected." Okay, if you think there's bipartisan support for this. Go lobby your Republican colleagues and see how many you can get. 
right? Sell them on this idea. And if they don't like it, ask them like specifically what they don't like and what might be changed. Like, you know, bring them into the fold. He's taking this position. It's like, oh, look, there, there's bipartisan support for this. We just liked it. Cinema too. Kirsten Cinema. She said something like, you know, the rules don't need to change in the Senate. People's way of thinking needs to change, or the behavior needs to change. Whatever she said, which is extremely difficult to do. But if you want to go try it, go ahead. Who are you reaching out to across the aisle to try to make this happen? Don't just make a statement or write an op-ed and say, look, we can get bipartisan support. And leave it at that and do nothing to try to make that happen. Like if you really think that you can get bipartisan support, then go do it. Go try it. Right. right? Don't, and don't, don't just don't just say, listen, we can get bipartisan support. I'll see you later. That is not doing the work of a lawmaker who really wants to reach across the aisle. And I, look, I don't know what kind of behind the scenes stuff goes on in terms of Joe Manchin and cinema reaching out to their Republican buddies saying – Hey, look how awesome this is. Like you should join. It's like, I don't, I don't know what, if any of that is going on, but just from the outside, this just seems really out of touch and lazy in terms of the rhetoric that it's couched in. Yeah. Because, you know, look, this HR one bill is, is, it's very, very important, right? They, they have to do this quickly. You know, um, they can't mess around with this at all. Like we don't have a lot of time, right? I mean, it's, you know, you've got till 2022, really until you t- till you can you know you can't guarantee a democratic majority past 2022 you you just can't so like let's move now you know let's let's get this together like right now and and i think that um yeah i don't know what biden's uh best play is here whether he has to think that's one thing i am glad that you know we've got a a, a real veteran of the u.s senate as president now is because I mean Biden really does understand how the Senate works and how to manipulate it, right? Um, and I think that that's going to be that's basically like that's exactly what is needed now with such a slim majority. Such a slim majority, you really need to know someone who you know he's known as a deal maker, Biden, right? He you know he's known for for creating cross party deals, for negotiating hard with his own party as well. Um, making compromises like I hope he's you know I hope that he's out he's really behind the scenes pushing this hard you know because uh, yeah I, I, I again I, I can't stress how important I think this is and, and how how urgent it is in terms of in terms of time I don't think HR1 gets done unless Manchin and company agree to reform the filibuster be just because I mean, you're not going to get all the deal making in the world is not going to bring 10 Republicans over to say, yeah, let's do all of these things in regards to voting rights that Democrats want to do that will help Democrats because they make it easier to vote. They lift restrictions on voting. They increase transparency in the process and all of this stuff. You're not, we've got for God's sakes, and we won't get into this this week, but we've got conservative commentators now out in the open saying that fewer people should be voting, right? That there should be some kind of like civics test in order to be able to vote in this country. They want fewer people to vote, which by the way, I will say, I'm not sure that would work out too well for them. Again, that's a discussion for another time, but they're out in the open 
saying, yes, we want to restrict the vote. And the For the People Act does the opposite of that. So I think you're going to have an extremely hard, i.e. impossible time getting 10 Senate Republicans on your side on this. So it's, it's time for our, our new segment, our third installment of our quote-unquote news segment. What crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week? Is that it's it? It's time. It's time. And yes, Although technically, technically it's last week because the show is dropping on a Sunday, but I won't, I won't nitpick. Nitpick, yes. Okay. No need to nitpick on this one. Yeah. <laughs> time for the weekly segment of which crazy fucking thing did a Republican say this week? Mike, you go first. Alrighty. So you may have seen the New York Times report on how Donald Trump, the Trump campaign ended up refunding more than $120 million in campaign donations it had received from mostly small donors. And by received, I mean pilfered. Because what the Trump campaign did was in their email solicitations for donations in the run-up to the 2020 election, they would automatically have the box checked for donors to make a recurring donation. And as they were facing a cash deficit uh, vis-a-vis the Biden campaign, they panicked and they made this donation, what had been a monthly recurring donation automatically, they made into a weekly recurring donation automatically. And these boxes, you should go check them out, these these boxes that contain all kinds of texts, all kinds of dense text, very confusing, like, you know, uncheck this box if da-da-da-da-da, just very confusing language. And a lot of older, especially, uh, and technically unsavvy folks ended up leaving this box checked that they that they did not intend to, and they ended up having their bank accounts absolutely drained. So they would go to pay a bill, and they wouldn't be able to, and they would go look at their account, and they had nothing left. And so the, the Trump campaign refunded over more than $120 million in donations. Now, obviously, not all of that is from people who, you know, got, um, uh, you know, who were tricked by this. But just keep in mind that that 120 plus million dollars that they refunded was more than 100 million dollars more in refunds than the Biden campaign shelled out over the same period of time. So that is a huge fucking discrepancy, and it is very obvious why there were so many. <laughs> refunds. And this was like, I think I read somewhere, this was like the number one reason people were calling their banks to, to complain about they've been the victim of fraudulent activity. I mean, it's just, it's just really wild stuff. So anyway, that, look, that's, that's all a long backdrop to what the national Republican congressional committee has done. They are now doubling down. They're using that the same a fundraising service. It's called Win Red that the Trump campaign was raising. It is the Republican answer to the Democrats Act Blue fundraising platform. And the NRCC is trying to raise money, and they have been sending their uh, donors just an increasingly, uh, just more and more unhinged pleas for money, okay? Culminating in my what crazy fucking thing did Republicans say this week. So, it, one of the earlier ones with the checked box said, 
We need your help to draft Trump for president. Check this box if you want Trump to run again. Uncheck this box if you do not stand with Trump. And underneath it says, make this a monthly recurring donation. So if the box is checked, that means it's uh, you agree to make a monthly donation automatically. Then another one says, Trump patriot status, missing. As a top grassroots supporter, we were surprised to see you abandoned him. Right? This is if you didn't donate again. This is your last chance to update your status to active. Donate an additional $50 automatically. And then finally, and this is my favorite one, this is just off-the-wall stuff. We need to know we haven't lost you to the radical left. If you uncheck this box, we will have to tell Trump you're a defector, all caps, and sided with the Dems. Check this box and we can win back the house and get Trump to run in 2024. Make this a monthly recurring donation. Now, I know there have been all kinds of fundraising tactics over the years, some of them kosher, some of them not so kosher, but directly threatening your donors to rat you out to the former president and de facto party leader if you don't check the box and make a monthly recurring donation that is some next level crazy shit. You know, top that, top that. Yeah, I mean, I guess by comparison, <laughs> by comparison, my crazy fucking thing or Republican said this week thing is isn't that isn't that insane? But it's it's no less despicable. Uh, but wow, yeah, that's special. That is really special. That the, and this is again just so everybody understands. This is the Republican Party now. It is no longer the. It it, it is the party of Donald Trump. And and it's everybody must understand that. And the party of Donald Trump is fucking insane. Just to uh, just to reiterate that. <laughs> yeah, this isn't this isn't just like some super independent super PAC. This is the National Republican Campaign Committee. Okay, these are the National Republicans. This isn't just some some scam pack out there trying to raise money. This has been, as you said, the Republican Party. So I have I have um, the. Uh, the conservative intellectual, the apparently the most prominent conservative intellectual these days, well, at least online, uh, Mr. Ben Shapiro. So um, in response to uh, – so this is – Joe Biden uh, basically called um, the gun shootings, the massacres over the past couple of weeks an international embarrassment, right? Hillary Clinton on Twitter tweeted out, she said, the president is right. The continuing epidemic of gun violence in America is an international embarrassment and it's within our power to end it. She's linking to a New York Times article. Ben Shapiro retweets that with a comment – Quote, it's odd when American politicians talk about something being an international embarrassment. I wasn't aware I was supposed to care what the rest of the world thought about our constitutional rights. So, first of all, fuck Ben Shapiro. Right? Second of all, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? There are so many things wrong with this that it's, it's almost where do you even begin? Right. First of all, Hillary Clinton is calling the epidemic of gun violence an international embarrassment, right? She's not talking about constitutional rights, right? The Second Amendment. There's no mention, she's not mentioning the Second Amendment. She's not talking about the right to bear arms. She's talking about the epidemic of gun violence. Now, dwarfed by the by COVID numbers, right? That most Republicans seem to not give a shit about either. But um, so, so first of all, she's, Joe Biden wasn't talking about the constitutional rights. Hillary Clinton wasn't talking about the constitutional rights of the Second Amendment. First of all, 
second of all, if he is going to conflate the two, the constitutional rights and um, uh, the epidemic of gun violence, right, he's literally telling people he doesn't care about gun massacres, right? He doesn't give a shit. And that Americans who are embarrassed by this, Americans who, A, do care, and B, are deeply embarrassed that they're the only industrialised democracy on the planet where they have regular gun massacres, um, that he's just not, you know, that these people are, 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 you know, what are they? Libtars. They're, they're, they're wusses because they care about children being murdered by high-powered military weapons, right? It, it, it's like a, you know, the, this sort of depravity and, and um, uh, intellectual dishonesty, I think, is shocking in, in this tweet. You know, it kind of epitomizes, for me, it really epitomizes republican sort of philosophy or ideology in a nutshell it's it's fuck you um yeah and fuck you again yeah ben shapiro like when he came onto the scene like 10 years ago he was supposed to be the the successor to william f buckley you know the 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 intellectual uh you know he's supposed to be like the new you know this is what the the future of conservative intellectualism looks like and he has just shown himself to be like this really this is what passes for an intellectual the the gop is largely a cult of personality and it it is revolving almost entirely around trumpism yes yeah exactly and again i think this is the the sort of danger and, and a lot of conservatives do see this i think like you know somebody like ben shapiro who is not a total he's not a trump he's not a trump republican right he's not on the alt right um, you know, in fact, he had a very big falling out with Breitbart back in the day. Um, you know, so he's not ideologically uh, a sort of Trumpist, right? He, he's a bit more of a kind of like, he's probably what I would call a Ted Cruz Republican, or basically an arsehole. Um, but, you know, but Ben Shapiro is not, you know, he isn't, the, he doesn't represent the kind of mainstream opinions of, of, of Republican. You know, I would say it's kind of split in half, right? You've got the parties kind of, you know, you've got the, you, you've basically got probably 40% Ted Cruz and 60% Donald Trump now, I would say. And the rest have left, right? The rest, that, that would be the way that I would divvy up the party right now. And the rest of it are either like self-described independents or they've moved, they've gone to the Democrats. There were no, there were basically virtually no moderate Republicans left who have any decent ideas. I would say, you know, people like Larry Hogan, who's the governor of Maryland. Uh, I, I think he's about as close to an old school Republican as you can get, maybe Mitt Romney. Um, but other than, you know, there are very few characters left who have a, a have any ideas and B who would be in, intellectually honest you know so it's a big problem you know and i think that, that that's why there were these movements like the lincoln project that that sprung up right of these disaffected republicans who just saw that they were like, okay we're basically completely the party is now it's gone like there's nothing left of it right we've got now a cult of personality in in trumpism and the rest of the rest of conservatives are are brain dead anyway you know i mean the fact the, the idea that you could compare like a Ben Shapiro to, I don't know, even like a William F. Buckley, right, would be completely ridiculous. If this guy is, if this guy is the best they can do, right, if that is, that's the sort of, you know, this is the sort of the intellectual kingpin of Republican politics, right? I, you know, yeah, they're in big trouble. They're in really, really big trouble. So, 
anyway, that's our that's our what crazy fucking thing did Republicans say this week segment uh, for you. Uh, and uh, again, leaves <laughs> leaves me thoroughly depressed with the state of the GOP. That segs into a what dumb fucking thing did a Republican say this week, and actually last week, and that's Mitch McConnell. We're going to play three separate sound bites from Mitch McConnell that he uttered on three consecutive days. This is Mitch McConnell on Tuesday responding to corporations making a stink over Georgia's new voter suppression law. And I found it completely discouraging to find a bunch of corporate CEOs uh, getting in the middle of politics. My advice to the corporate CEOs of America is to stay out of politics. Heavens to Betsy. Corporations in our politics? Who ever heard of such a thing? Ben, have you ever heard of such a thing? You know, Mitch McConnell telling corporations to mind their own business. Uh, I, I'm sure, you know, Mitch McConnell is no dummy. Mitch McConnell is no dummy. And um, I, I put it down to a momentary lapse in judgment from poor old Mitch. Maybe he was having a long day. Maybe he forgot who had funded his entire political career. Um, so, you know, I, I, I feel bad for the guy. You know, he's getting on a bit. He's, he's pretty old. You know, he's getting a bit doddery. He's under a lot of stress. He lost his position as Senate Majority Leader. Maybe he's, you know, feeling a bit down in the dumps, uh, you know, April gloom or something like that. But, um, yeah, the poor guy really forgot, right? He, he, he really did momentarily forget uh, right. why he is where he is. So that was Tuesday. Here he is on Wednesday trying to do some damage control. I'm not talking about political contributions. Most of them contribute to both sides. They have political action committees. That's fine. It's legal. It's appropriate. I support that. Oh, but we still want your donations. (laughs) We still want that sweet corporate cash. You've got to love him. Let's let's try again. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Here he is on Thursday. Yeah, let me, let me, uh, I didn't say that very artfully yesterday. They, they're certainly entitled to be involved in politics. They are. My principal complaint is they didn't read the darn bill. Ah, I see. <laughs> they didn't read the darn bill. No. His principal concern is that major corporations are saying out loud that they are really concerned about efforts to suppress the vote. Now, how sincere corporations like Coca-Cola and Delta and uh, an institution like Major League Baseball, how sincere they're being in this, the people who run these organizations really think this is so terrible, or if this is a branding decision because they don't think it doesn't play well, the law doesn't play well with the public. Right, and also, I mean, look, Mitch McConnell is urging people to, basically he's saying, read the bill. Right. Which is like if he had, you know, he wants to be a little bit. He's really having a bad week here. Right. Because he absolutely doesn't want anybody to read that bill. You know, you can read the bill. I, I would suggest people go to the New York Times. The New York Times had a very good breakdown of uh, of the bill of the the um, the bill that passed in Georgia that essentially uh, it, it is. It's modern day Jim Crow. Right. Like it, it, it basically it has a, a series of measures that will impact largely African-American and poor people, right? Uh, and prevent them from voting or, or make it harder for them to vote. 
So, like, the more if people do read the bill, they're going to come away with the impression uh, that the rest of the country, the people who have read the bill, have already come away with that. Yes, it's a voter suppression bill, right? They, they've all the Republicans have, have have been all week have been saying, "Oh, Biden's lying about it." The Democrats are lying about it. No, go and read it. Have a look at it. Check it out for yourself, right? It, it, it is a it's a disgusting bill it's an assault on voting rights right and mitch mcconnell was saying you know read the damn bill yeah go please read it you know there may be more corporations will put more corporations run by human beings will, will pull out you know i mean i mean again this is a broader topic right there there is you know there's part of me that does i do sort of kind of i don't like having political things thrust at me by corporations like when facebook gets into politics or when you know amazon gets into politics or, or you know what i mean like netflix so you turn on netflix and there's a sign for some i don't know whatever whatever like you know women's issues or black lives matter issues which of course i 100 percent support but part of me is thinking like you know i don't really want to turn on netflix and uh people you know i'm trying to what well, i'm watching netflix to get away from politics right it was, I think, Bill Maher did a whole segment on this about about um, about uh, you know awareness days of these different causes, you know, and there you, you like almost everywhere during sports games, during you know when you're at the movie theater or whatever, you're you're being made aware of a certain cause that you have to be concerned about, right? And I think it is it's sort of overwhelming, and I do wish they would take a back seat from it, like. So I sort of partially agree with Mitch McConnell in in some ways, but um, nevertheless, it it is hilarious that he um, uh, <laughs> how he had to walk it all back. Obviously, his uh, corporate donors uh, he he's probably irked some of his corporate donors. I mean, you no, know, look, I do think that would be nice maybe if if corporations were i I prefer them more substantive rather than performative, like more substantive. Um, actions towards civil rights issues and things like that i think look, the major league baseball you know i support that i think that was a good move i think it you know um i think it was probably the right thing to do but you know uh i think there is a bit of a danger of of um corporations wading into these issues uh and you've got to sometimes question what are their motives there are their motives what, what are, their, are their motives to appear woke to sell more bottles of coca-cola i you know i don't know i'm not sure yes. it was like that that was it kendall jenner or whatever the pepsi thing uh, Do you remember, yeah. <laughs> remember she was when? gonna she was gonna heal the partisan divide with pepsi with pepsi <laughs> right right again this is corporate interference in politics that we don't need thank you very much right and speaking of corporate interference last thing on friday the amazon unionization effort at a warehouse in bessemer alabama uh, failed friday the vote tallies were counted and the numbers are actually staggering 1798 workers voted against unionizing only 738 voted for unionizing. That is a ton of workers who just voted against their own interests. And one of the reasons they did that is because Amazon has waged a big disinformation campaign targeting these workers, telling them unions are bad. The retail, wholesale, and department store union, which was organizing this effort, is alleging that there was anti-unionization 
activity that was illegal on Amazon's part, saying that they misinformed and intimidated their workers. So just really like bad news, bad news for unions that this that this vote not only did the workers vote not to unionize, but it was just so lopsided. Obviously, Amazon's campaign against the union had a lot to do with that. This is really why every state should have something called card check. And it's very simple. This is something I did at the University of Massachusetts, Lowell, where I was an adjunct professor, where the adjuncts did not have a union. And we were able to unionize the way we did because Massachusetts has card check. Uh, which was you obtain union authorization cards, you seek out your fellow employees who are in your bargaining unit. We would let them know, hey, we're trying to form a union. And we would answer any questions they had, and we would ask them if they'd be willing to sign the card, which basically states that I, the signer of this card, want to be in a union. And then once we got more than half the adjuncts to sign, because all you need is 50% plus one, of the bargaining unit, though you'll want more to sign because you want a comfortable majority if you can get it because I don't know, signature matches, some cards might get lost, whatever it is. At which point, once you're at that threshold, you send the cards to the National Labor Relations Board, which will then certify that everything is kosher, and voila, you have a union. The adjunct faculty at UMass Lowell had a union, and this is like 10 years ago. In states without card check, it's different. They have an actual vote among the workers. After something like, I think a third of workers sign cards, there's then a vote among all the workers, which sounds totally reasonable, right? Like, oh, you, you know, they get to have a vote and, and vote on. But, but what happens in the interim is that the company has a chance to do what Amazon did and try to convince workers that it's not in their best interest to unionize. So there can be all kinds of misinformation and intimidation campaigns, which Companies aren't supposed to do, but they do it anyway because so much is at stake. And that's what the the retail wholesale and department store union is alleging Amazon did in this case. So, you know, unions, they have been just gradually weakened over the years. The percentage of people who are in a union, workers who are in a union now is I think it's something like 10 percent. Most of it is like public sector unions. And just Amazon, it's like Amazon, like Jeff Bezos is worth like a hundred and whatever, whatever Amazon stock is at now, like, you know, cause that's what his net worth hinges largely on like $160 billion. Amazon pays no taxes. Their revenues are insane. Their profits are insane. And they can't let a fucking warehouse in Alabama unionize. I mean, it's just so, uh, yeah, it's pretty grotesque. The most powerful company in the world, I think. You know, uh, I mean, my, my take on on um, union stuff is is uh, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got some you know, I, I have a sort of a bit of a nuanced position on on unions and um, the relationship with corporations and worker rights and things like that. In that, you know, I, I'm not like anti-union per se, but I do think that perhaps they could be. Maybe it's time to evolve a different model, you know, that wasn't necessarily so adversarial between unions and, you know, the the corporation, um, that, that perhaps there is a, there is, there could be a different way of doing it. And I only say this because I've got, you know, so, so for example, um, 
I have uh, family mem- members who are teachers, and um, they're all you know union members. Obviously, in in the UK, paid up union members and and uh, supportive of the unions. But if you talk to them about the unions, they'll say, yeah, it's like it's pretty bad. It's run by like pretty corrupt um people who are don't have the best interests of the of the kids at heart and they're stifling a lot of progress and blah 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 so you know they while they're pro union um they're also you know critical of unions and i think that this is in the united states this it's a real problem right that that you quite it's very difficult to have a nuanced position on this a- anymore because if you you know i don't want to be misconstrued and be seen to be anti-union when i'm not i just think perhaps there are kind of other models of of, of doing it right you know maybe there, there's another way to have like you know ownership stake in the company for example of, of of amazon so workers get some sort you know it works more like a cooperative something like that you know i think it's, it's a much bigger debate um but you know having said that there's clearly a huge power imbalance between Amazon and its workers. And at the moment, a union is, 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 the, is the, literally the only thing that we have um, in work to protect workers' rights, to ensure that a you know, corporation doesn't, you know, can't just kind of uh, enforce all sorts of, you know, um, inhumane working conditions on its on its uh, on its workers, which they do. You know, Amazon Amazon's a pretty shitty company uh, in in many ways. So you know, look again. I think it's I think it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a very it's a difficult topic. Um, but I you know ultimately I'm pro union and ultimately I think that Amazon is 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 a is a massive monopoly that needs to be um, broken up. Um, or they need to, uh, you know, there's something needs to happen. Whether it, it, waging this kind of disinformation campaign is like, you know, it's a pretty disgusting industry, like union busting and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty abhorrent, uh, and it's a shame that unions are declining in power in the United States. And I don't think it's because unions are unpopular. I think it's because people don't know enough about them. When you said that labor and capital could find ways to work together better. I was about to call you the Joe Manchin of labor and capital relations. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Amazon, that reminds me, I've got a whole bunch of Microsoft Surface tablets in my Amazon cart that I need to go buy because Bill Gates keeps telling me to do so. <laughs> Listen, all right. Well, uh, everybody, I, we appreciate you listening the banter podcast if you have enjoyed the episode please make sure you subscribe you can subscribe to us on spotify as well we're also working on being available on itunes as well so be able to subscribe via itunes um also subscribe to the newsletter make sure you're subscribed click that subscribe button and you can also get a 50 percent discount on a banter membership that would be and uh, you can read all of our members only pieces and take part in discussion threads so you can do that click on the uh, button that gives you 50 percent off we really appreciate everybody and uh, also thank you for the very much for the kind comments in the uh, banter chat thread last week a lot of you listened to the podcast and um, a lot of you talked about this um, actually on during the thread about how, how much you were enjoying the podcast so again like at least kind of makes us realize that you're you know we're doing something decent and that you guys are enjoying it so really appreciate that must purchase windows 11 <laughs> take care everyone bye-bye